Welcome to Max and Murphy. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Uh, coming up on the show in just a few minutes, I will be speaking with the president of the New York City Principals Union. That's Mark Canazaro. He's the president of the Council of School Supervisors and Administrators, the Principals Union of the New York City Public Schools. We'll talk with President Canazaro about the reopening of city schools. It's a immense week for New York City education this week. Last week, after multiple delays, we saw some students returning to classrooms. And this week, a lot more students returning to classrooms, including yesterday, the return of K-5 to students and K-8 to students at different schools. And then coming up tomorrow, the return of middle and high school students to school buildings. Now, of course, that's still at limited capacity. The students that are doing in-person learning, uh, there's only a certain number allowed in each in the buildings each day, depending on building capacity and classroom capacity. And we also have almost a 50-50 split at this point in terms of students that have been signed up to do all remote learning by their parents or guardians, which means that, um, you know, there's a a new set of challenges in terms of schools having to teach those students all remote, but it also means for the in-person learning crowd, uh, it, it's fewer students to have to worry about in figuring out their schedules. So there's actually more opportunity for those students that are doing something called blended learning, where some of the time they're coming into the school buildings and then some of the time they're doing remote learning. There's actually more opportunity given those high numbers of all remote students that the blended learning students can be in the buildings a little bit more. So perhaps a silver lining for those students in the fact that so many other students are doing all remote. There is so much to watch for as city schools reopen to the extent they're reopening fully this week. We'll have all the grades set, hundreds of thousands of students returning to classrooms. Uh, quite an experiment happening in New York City amid the continued coronavirus pandemic. So we will talk in a few minutes with Mark Canazaro, the Principals Union President. And of course, we are going to ask him about the vote that the executives in his Principals Union took over the weekend, a no-confidence vote in Mayor Bill de Blasio and Schools Chancellor Richard Carranza. The, uh, the Principals Union was dismayed by an announcement made Friday between the Teachers Union and the city will get into that with President Canazaro in just a few minutes. So that is coming up. And of course, on the show here in recent weeks and months, we've spoken with both the teachers union president, Michael Mulgrew, and with DOE Chancellor Richard Carranza. So some of the main decision makers in this whole process uh, we've had on the show and looking forward to talking to President Canazaro in just a few minutes. If you missed our conversation with UFT President Michael Mulgrew or the DOE Chancellor Richard Carranza. You can find those in the Max and Murphy podcast streams or at the Gotham Gazette or City Limits websites. Very pleased to be joined by the president of the Principals Union in New York City. That's the Council of School Supervisors and Administrators. And he is Mark Canazaro, President Canazaro. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate the time, especially considering everything that's going on. I was saying at the top of the show, giving people an update on exactly where we are in the school reopening conversation with many schools reopening yesterday, many more coming online tomorrow. 
So just from your perspective and your union, um, where where do we stand right now? I also told listeners before you came on about the, the no confidence vote in the mayor and the chancellor that your, your executive board uh, issued. Where do we stand right now from your perspective in the school reopening process? Well, um, you know, we're, 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 we are concerned regarding the staffing um, of, of the schools. We, we're pretty set, and we think we've done a good job, and I, and I have to give the city credit for this, um, with getting all the PPE and the, the uh, floor markings over to the schools, um, and, and really the custodial staffs and buildings for, for cleaning them up, and, and a couple of schools I visited yesterday were spotless, um, getting plexiglass into the buildings where they needed uh, shields uh, to separate, you know, for partitions. So, so there's been a lot of positives here, but our main concern right now with getting the schools open is the staffing. And, um, you know, there is a, a tremendous need for additional staff right now. The department has been redeploying central office folks to try to plug in some holes, but that's, you know, temporary and we're going to need to get a lot more teachers into the schools to make sure that, you know, every teacher, uh, every child has a teacher. And so do you have any ballpark range on that number? There was estimates of 10,000 to 12,000 needed. The mayor has said he secured somewhere around 4,500. Um, there were concerns that there really wouldn't be enough teachers for tomorrow when middle schools and high schools are reopening to students coming in in person. Do you have a sense of what where the numbers stand? I know that can be very challenging to try to, to get. Yes, it, it is challenging to get an exact uh, number, but the number between ten and twelve thousand is probably pretty accurate. But keep in mind that that includes not only teachers that need to be in the school buildings to receive the students in person, but that also includes teachers to work with the students remotely who are at home, whether they chose whether they opted for fully remote instruction or the students in the blended model who are home a couple days a week uh, and rotating into the building. So not, there is a need for some, you know, in-person folks, but the the big number, that ten to twelve thousand number, was including all of the students uh, in the system. So as we open uh, middle and high schools tomorrow, we have somewhere around a need of five or six thousand more bodies, individuals who can teach. Uh, how is it possible that those schools are going to open tomorrow? Well, I, I think that the number of, of teachers that need to actually get into the schools tomorrow is more more like a little bit over a thousand to actually get into the buildings. Um, the rest of them would be needed for um, you know for, for the remote instruction. But um, you know, there's a tremendous redeployment going on right now of central office staff um, and others, as well as a, a hiring of substitutes to try to meet these needs. And, and we're hoping that there are enough um, staff members tomorrow to make sure that, that every child has a teacher. But we're also, um, we also believe, and, and, you know, we don't have hard data here, but we, we believe that the high school numbers of students are actually going to be lower than we anticipated. You know, some of the, some of the um, estimates were, you know, 60% of the students would be attending. And we're thinking at the high school level, it's going to be far fewer than that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So what's the general, um, I don't know, instructions or, or protocols that principals are using as things get going this week when 
they don't have the the staffing that they need what what happens then what how how is how is it happening that as the buildings are opening up to in person learning uh, teachers and principals are trying to figure out making sure everybody's doing the remote as needed uh, the students who are doing blended learning are getting their remote learning are there protocols in place to say you know we have an emergency here what do we do uh, we don't have well, anybody staffing this <laughs> this class or that class right well well right now obviously the first priority is for the in-person students that are be attending in the building and uh, superintendents have been surveying schools and we've been assured that there will be people in the schools to take care of the students that are in the building the Students that are learning remotely, um, in the meantime, if there is not a, a, a teacher available for them right away, they will have, uh, you know, assignments posted that they would do sort of what we're calling asynchronous instruction. Um, and then the hope there is that shortly after we take care of all our in-person needs, we'll be able to start working on the, the needs for students that are remote that at the moment don't have someone. And are there things other than staffing that, that you see as the biggest needs at this point? Are there other things that are really concerning to you as, as this process is unfolding right now? Well, I mean, the, the staffing is, is certainly the number one issue. Um, but, you know, some of the changes in the last minute changes are also very alarming. Um, you know, we've received guidance throughout the summer that is consistently changing and has caused principals to have to reprogram their schools uh, far too often. And anyone that knows the care and the time that goes into programming a school um, understands that it, it is a massive, massive job. And people have reported reprogramming a school 10 or 12 times. And just Friday afternoon, there was some new guidance released that is going to cause uh, some reprogramming and, and potentially some changing of classes for students or changing of teachers for students, which is a concern for us as well. If a, a young child had met their teacher online and has grown comfortable with their teacher, if that's going to re re result in a change of teacher, that's a little unsettling for a young, a young student to come into school to find out maybe the person that they had been working with on the computer is ultimately not the person that's teaching them, um, you know, when they get to the building. Right. And, and that shift that was announced uh, to some flexibility, more flexibility for, for some number of teachers seemed to be sort of the last straw that led your union into a vote of no confidence over the weekend in the mayor and the chancellor and asking for the state education department to come in. What, what do you want this? What would you want the state education department to come in and do exactly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we were looking for someone to come in with a, a fresh set of eyes in the state education department in sort of what you would consider like a ladder of referral is, you know, directly uh, over the, the city. And we were hoping that they'd come in with a fresh set of eyes and, and take a look at what's been happening and give us a hand trying to be a lot more consistent um, with the messaging and the communication that our folks are getting, um, you know, and again, in order to program a school, in order to run a school, especially during an emergency situation, we need clear and consistent guidance. Um, we need time to implement that guidance. It, you know, things can't be changing at the last minute and, and have someone expected to be able to, um, you know, pivot on a dime and contact families and parents and staff and explain to them 
exactly what is happening. I mean, the, the job of a school leader is, is largely building trust among, among the community. And when you are delivering constantly changing messages, that hurts your credibility as a leader. So it, it, it got to a point where um, those type of things had been happening since the pandemic began in March, and we had been trying to address them. Um, every time we thought we made some progress, we seemed to slide back. And it, it, it just got to a point where my members uh, were exasperated. So, um, you know, it, it, it led to our Sunday vote and to ask the state education department to come and take a look at, at what's going on and see if they could offer some guidance sort of from from a, a, a different perspective and, and, and looking at it as an independent from an independent uh, position. And have you gotten any response from the state education department on that? Well, they said that, yeah, they, 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 we were told that they'd be monitoring things and keeping an eye on things. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if it'll go further, but, you know, the thing is, if, if we need them and we need to reach out again, um, you know, then at least we've, we've been in touch at one point and, and we'll be able mm-hmm. to uh, reach out again if necessary. Um, but, but I do trust that they will be monitoring things closely as, as this week unfolds especially. Have you gotten any sense from the mayor or chancellor that this vote and this resolution, by the way, the resolution is, is quite remarkable in terms of the list of, uh, of, of issues it identifies with the city's uh, planning and, and implementation of reopening schools. Um, have you gotten any sense from the mayor and chancellor that this was at all a wake-up call to them or – or perhaps the opposite. Have you gotten any sense from the mayor or chancellor that they're extremely offended by what you've done and, and are going to be less uh, inclined to work with you? Well, I mean, look, to, to their credit, I have, I have to say to, to their credit, um, you know, they, they certainly were not happy and pleased with uh, a vote of no confidence. And I can understand why no one would be, but, but to their credit, um, they agreed that there were some things that, you know, they need to, uh, do a little bit better and, and that they're going to work on them and that we're going to continue to try to work together to, to get this going. And, um, you know, to, to be honest, I was quite pleased with that response because, like you just mentioned, you could have had the opposite response as well. And mm-hmm. and that was not the response. So, uh, you know, we, we did not do this lightly. We did not take it lightly. It did not feel good. No one in my executive board was you know, what people might consider uh, a union rally type of meeting. It was actually a very subdued type of meeting and, and um, sad in a way, but they just felt that it, it needed to be done. So, you know, the, the vote was made, but it wasn't made with any joy or pleasure whatsoever. And, uh, mm-hmm. You know, the response was probably as, um, as positive as I could have expected it to be from the mayor and chair. Mm-hmm. So, so let's sort of zoom back out even further here. What's at the root of all this? What what went wrong? What what do you what do you point to when you say, "Wow, you know, we're we're drafting this resolution, and we have a list of you know fifteen or twenty issues with this process that have been handled poorly." Um, what what went wrong here? What's at the root of this? I think honestly, I think what's at the root of this is a lack of communication. Um, to school leaders, that was probably first and foremost. And then, you know, from there, I would I would have to say that it was changing guidance that mm-hmm. that just kept coming in. Um, people would would get a piece of guidance. They would call in. You know, they would call a, a meeting with their parent communities over the you know on the computer, and they would have a meeting and they would lay out some things that they were just told. 
um, and then they would have to recall another meeting to change that guidance, or there'd be so many questions asked that they didn't have answers for, which was frustrating parents and families. And then they were finding out when they reached out to their immediate supervisors, their superintendents, that their superintendents didn't have the information that they needed. I mean, late Friday night on Rosh Hashanah, they received a whole long list of guidance that sort of intimated that, you know, it should be digested for Monday morning. Um, Some of our educational administrators who had been uh, working from home for six months were uh, sent emails on a Sunday afternoon to report to a school on Monday morning with no time to make any child care arrangements or other arrangements they may have need, needed to make because they weren't expected to actually weren't expecting to leave their homes for work on Monday morning. So it was it was probably an accumulation of things, but I think the communication um, and the constant changing guidance guidance was was the key. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, do you think that you and, and the CSA and perhaps with uh, your partners at the UFT, do you think that you were forceful enough, you know, in, let's say, June, July, as you saw the city getting off to a slow or choppy start with this planning for reopening? Do you think you were forceful enough in raising red flags and getting, you know, trying to get um, the attention of the mayor and the chancellor and others to do a better job of the planning? Well, I, I mean, look, I think we were pretty forceful. We, we, we had uh, several meetings where, you know, I, I raised issue after issue, and then it, it did get to a point where even publicly we were calling out since July the staffing shortage. And, we, you know, we were – I was on – you know, appearing on television and on the radio and, and in mm-hmm. print media um, calling out this, this big staffing crisis – um, so, uh, you know, I, I can't say that we weren't as we weren't forceful enough. Uh, we were out there and we were trying to sort of raise the alarm. And that's not something that we normally do. Uh, you know, the school, the, the school supervisors and administrators union. And, and by the way, we also represent assistant principals and educational administrators, and daycare workers, but uh, daycare directors. I'm sorry. But th- this this union is generally not very out there publicly, um, you know, sounding alarm bells, but it had gotten to a point where we knew we needed to do so. So I think we, I think we certainly made sure that people understood the point and, and the mayor and chancellor knew what we were talking about. Uh, and, and every meeting we had, I raised the staffing issue. So uh, do, it's do not like they were um, not aware. Do your members feel safe? Uh, in their buildings at this point? Is there, um, you know, what's the level of concern in terms of um, ventilation issues, you know, the testing protocols that are getting going? What about the safety, the, you know, the, the public health aspect mm-hmm. of this? Where, where do you and your members stand on that as of now? You know, we, we do have some concerns, actually. Some, I, I should say some of my members have voiced some concerns, but I would say that the overwhelming majority of people at this point are pretty comfortable um, you know, most of the ventilation issues have been taken care of, at least at least for now. You know, come come the cold weather when we have to turn the heat back on, we may need to make some more adjustments. But most of the ventilation issues have been taken care of. I, I believe one school only has been relocated. Um, so, you know, they, they have the, the PPE and the, the custodians have their electrostatic sprayers and hand sanitizer around the building and a, a big supply of masks and Mm-hmm. Um, everything that that 
they need to keep them as safe as possible. I believe they have, and um, the city has been very responsive when they've called out to ask for things. So I, I do believe they feel pretty safe, but also understanding that it is a virus that's very contagious, and you know, there's never going to be a hundred percent comfort level. Right. And just in our last couple minutes here, and we appreciate the time. I'm sure it's a very, very busy week for you, obviously. Um, are there, in terms of the, the protocols around testing and, and school shutdowns if needed, are there any things that your union is doing sort of separately from the process or to oversee the process? Because a lot of this obviously relies on the city to, you know, gather information on positive tests and to make sure that the testing sampling is happening and such. Anything you're doing in preparation to make sure that things don't go awry here when cases inevitably yes. pop up? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we have a, uh, I have my uh, first vice president, Rosemary Sinclair. She's sort of heading up the, the safety end of this. And um, folks, uh, our folks know to email her whenever they have a, a positive case or a suspected case or a concern about notification of, of families. That was something that was a, a big problem in March where the department was um, asking principals not to say anything until the Department of Health had confirmed a case. And sometimes the Department of Health takes too long to confirm a case. So we went uh, around that and we were able to get them to agree that if there is a suspected case, principals can issue a letter and and such that the families at least remain confident in the school leader that if they if they have an idea that there may be a case, they're going to be notified, and, and then they'd be notified again if it, if it was confirmed. So, um, you know, we, we have that in place, and we have, you know, Rosemary handling a tremendous amount of emails on a regular basis, making sure that all the safety protocols as well as test and trace is in place uh, if and when it needs to be. And just lastly, is there is there anything, um, you know, in terms of going forward, um, you know, inevitably there's going to be adjustments that need to be made in in your mind? You know, is there something that maybe should have been done previously that you foresee as a possible suggestion if, you know, if some big changes need to be made? I'm thinking, for example, of something like, you know, all high school students have to be remote, but then we use the extra space for the younger kids or, or, you know, much more outdoor space being used or anything that's sort of been on top of mind for you that hasn't really been part of the plan, but you think might be needed as a backup piece? Well, sure. I mean, you know, look, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and it's easy to do and say that, but yeah, I mean, look, th- there are some uh, districts around the country who have done things like let's take in the students that we know, you know, the youngest children that still are learning to read and, and do basic math equations, as well as some of our students with special needs that, that the one-to-one instruction um, maybe you know, or the lack of one-to-one instruction or in-person instruction may be uh, disproportionately affecting. Um, so some of the, you know, there are certainly some considerations around that, some ideas around that. I think that they have value. So that would be something to, to talk about, you know, and, and run through. I think there are some other uh, ideas also that, that maybe would be able to um, reduce the need for so many additional teachers. And, you know, whether that is providing like a, le- a shorter day of instruction for the students who are in person to free up that teacher who just, you know, provided instruction on a short day to do some work some additional work 
the rest of the day with the students who are learning remotely, and that would reduce the need for so many more teachers in the system, save some money, and, and, and create consistency also that the children who are at home, if they ever do come back to the building, will come back to the same teacher. So I, I think there's a lot of merit there as well. Um, but again, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and sure. if, if this had happened again, I, I would suggest considering those type of things. Right, interesting, and, and yeah, I mean, we've we've seen this take a number of twists and turns already. So we'll see what other ones come around, but hopefully not too many other shakeups, because we know uh, you and, and teachers and and the administrators, and obviously the students and families have been through a lot here. So hopefully this will go fairly smoothly from here. Uh, Mark Canazzaro is the president of the Council of School Supervisors and Administrators. Really appreciate the time. Best of luck to you and your members. Thank you so much, Ben. It's a pleasure speaking with you. You too. Take care.